Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Craig Procopio, Principal and Vice President of Construction at the Procopio Companies. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. Now, I usually point out some of the highlights of the show in the intro, but in this case, there were too many, and in reality, I think it was more about a theme. The theme was one of flexibility and innovation, which you'll hear from Craig. Procopio's ability to innovate, change business models, abandon lines of business, all in the name of moving forward, is commendable and a good indicator of what companies need to be in today's world. Craig also happens to be one of us, a MassCon, an advocate for the show. I appreciate that more than you can imagine, and I appreciate all of you that support the show by reviewing, liking, and generally spreading the word. Enjoy the show. Hey, Greg. Welcome to Mass Construction Show. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, the second Procopio we've had on the podcast, which is great for people I don't know. Um, Mike Procopio, also of the Procopio companies, has been on a couple times. We were talking more zoning and infinity system. And just to give people a little bit of an understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but Mike really oversees uh, the development arm of the Procopio companies and you oversee the construction side? Yes, correct. Is that correct? Um, and just to give people a little more information, there is, so there's the development, there's the general contracting, the site work, subcontracting, yep. and then you also have property management and kind of real estate consulting as well? So we, we do have a, a brokerage side. Um, the property management side, we actually ended uh, about a year ago. We were okay. self-performing property management on all of our properties. And we finally came to the conclusion that uh, we should stick in our lane. If, if we have a passion for something, we should do it. And if we don't, we really shouldn't. So okay. we, uh, we stopped our own property management about a year ago. Okay. So you don't manage it, but you still hold some properties. Yep. You yep. just have a third party that does the actual. Yeah, we have, we have right now we have about 162 units in our portfolio that up until 12 months ago we were managing, but now a local management company handles them. And as we, as we complete buildings, we are now, instead of taking any of the management on, we are bringing the property manager in months ahead of time, getting them set up and actually finishing the project with them on site, getting their heads wrapped around the, the property. Oh, great. So they're actually involved with commissioning and, or at least being part of the, pro being there while you're commissioning? Being at whatever they feel they need to be at or okay. what we ask them to be at for sure. Okay. And I think it's, it's relevant. So I'm going to mention it, but um, even though, you know, it might be a third party that's doing the execution of the management and maintenance or whatever, but you're still holding that asset and you're paying that if there's a, contractor that needs to come in and fix so absolutely yeah you, so in, internally we, we still have an asset manager who is handling the asset on the development team um even though we are not doing the actual property management the day-to-day -day management of the properties we are still managing the manager yeah. no, no different than on the development side when we hire a third-party gc or cm to run one of our projects there's still a level of overall management of that that we still have to do in-house. Okay. But I think it's important because it lends to the fact that you still have to live with the product you built. Absolutely. Right. You're, you're going to own that potentially for a long time. And I don't mean own it in the sense of you own the building, like own the, the, the headaches that come with that, right? I will more than likely on some of our projects own the actual property longer than the construction that longer than i'm legally tied to it on the construction side okay so we, so have, to, we have to make decisions in construction that are better than just you know we need to get through x number of years we're yeah. still going to own it at the end yeah okay so yeah that warranty period is almost a moot point right Li lifetime as long as we own the building yeah i got it okay great um so understanding there's that dynamic between like the construction and property development and management side of things um, on the suit, on the very front end, when you're looking at a deal to potentially buy or lease a piece of land, maybe a 990 year lease, or if you do things, I don't know if you do things like that, but um, when you're looking at the land to begin with, 
how much of a factor does the fact that you have the construction and site work capabilities weigh on whether a deal pencils out or not, a project pencils out? It all depends on the project. So up until about three years ago, we only looked at, at potential projects if we could handle it in-house. So if we found a piece of land that we were interested in, we would look at our schedules, we'd look at our staffing and say whether or not we could build it. And if the answer was no, we can't build it, we also didn't go buy it. That just ended the conversation. Just walked away. Okay. Walked away. So three years ago, we took on our first, uh, we bought our first piece of land that from the get-go, there was almost 0% chance that we were going to build it. And you've been on that site. So that's the Caldwell site. That's the first project we've ever hired a CM for. So we have Delbrook on that job. It's 10 stories. It's 259 units. It's urban environment, zero lot line. Power crane. Yep, the whole, Power yeah. crane. Just a lot of complications that we personally have never run into. Mm. And even at that one, the, the decision had to be made. Do we staff up with guys who know what they're doing and build it ourselves? Or do we sub it up? And ultimately, we, we crossed a, a number of we crossed the threshold on the number of units that we were able to get approved. And as soon as we did that, it was we're, we're interviewing CMs now. Hmm. And that was that was the first time we've done that. We are now that one is actually phase one of that turns over tomorrow. We have the first tenants move in. Okay. Um, but since then, we have two more, three more going that we are strictly the developer on. And three years ago, that was not a thing. We had to build it. So now we have two more about to start in Lynn. They're still working through the approval process. Um, and we have one going in Portland, Maine, that as soon as we get our building permit, it's going to be with a local contractor ready to go up there. That's a, that's a big shift. It's a huge shift. In three years to go say, hey, we're not even touching something if we don't build it to three, probably three, is it, would, it, would it be fair to say three of your biggest projects potentially? Absolutely. Three of our biggest. Yeah. Yeah. So to go from, <clears throat> I'm not touching anything I can't build to building three of the biggest projects you've ever done and not, not self-performing any of those. Yeah. Now, yeah. Just if, if you get into any kind of management books, there's John Maxwell who has a, the law of the lid. And that's an, an organizational thing really where you are the lid on your organization. If you don't grow, your organization doesn't grow unless you put someone in your place. I like that. Lost Same year, we had to make the decision, Mike and I, when we decided that things were going to start building bigger, building different types of projects, projects that historically we never touched as a company, but that interested us and kept us excited and made us actually want to go to work every day. Mm -hmm. We realized that we weren't going to be able to build all that. We could acquire the land, we could get it permitted, we could work through the design process and actually enjoy crafting a product that is ours and then at some point in there it, it needs to be turned over to a company who can build it hmm. and you know it's funny? A huge shift in our actual philosophy as a company over the past couple of years yeah like uh not to be patting you on the back while you're sitting in front of me but like that takes like some stomach and like good self-reflection to be like okay no that's just not us like we can't Let's not pretend we're like, we need someone better than us essentially to come in yeah. and, and, and do this. And also like that very rarely do I hear of a book that I haven't heard of before. Usually someone mentions a book and, you know, that's, it's, that's it's just the, one you've heard. I've never heard of that. 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. It's awesome. So it's oh, okay. So it's not called the, his law is the, within the, the 21 laws is the law of the lid. Law of the lid. And what did you say the title of it was? Oh, you're going to make me say the word again. 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. I shouldn't be taking notes. I can just re-listen oh, to this, but too, too bad. <laughs> uh, great. Uh, leadership. Um, okay. So It, it so it it matters a lot in whether that pencils out but in a lot of cases you might just be you're shifting to a, another gccm um 
one, one more selfish question that I'm kind of curious about here. I'm not selfish, but uh, just my own curiosity. How much internally did you fight with the fact of like, you know what? I'd kind of like to build a 10 story building. Just like, I, I would, I would be very tempted. How much were you tempted? Um, Up front for ego's sake, there was me. Um, because yeah, I would have loved to, but on the other hand, if, if we were building that particular project, we, in the past three years, we would not have acquired anything else. We would have been focused strictly on by, on building a 10 story building. Hmm. Um, and truthfully, that wasn't just at the front end. There's been times in between where the thought has crossed our mind. Why didn't we build this? Then you step back and it's, we still should not be building this. Okay. So it all, it all depends on the day and what's going on. But if we had taken it on to build that building, it would have been an ego-driven decision, certainly not a, a good business one. And layer in on top of that, I don't think we would have ever found a joint venture partner who would have looked at me and said, you're going to build the 10-story building? Okay, have at it. I, I don't think that was ever going to happen. Uh, okay, because is that other layer, which is investors want to see who's going to who's going to build that building investors want to see. So when you're saying, yeah, we have this piece of land, we have it permitted approved. Here's the plans. And by the way, here's Delbrook JKS. They are our construction manager on it. It doesn't take anybody who's outside this area to look at that in two minutes and be like, okay, this is a legit project. We have a legit CM on it. We can, we can proceed with our due diligence on this project. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. But yeah, the, the fact that you say the word ego is no, it's, it, that's, that's accurate. I would have felt the same way, you know, and the fact that you reassessed it and it, it does make sense. Cause I didn't think about it this way. Right. Um, you would have to commit so many resources just cause of risk management. Right. Cause if that job goes sideways, you're done, you're done. Even, right? even with, with a third party CM, that job goes sideways. You're probably done. But if you've got all those resources committed to make sure that one project doesn't go sideways, you can't do it. Like you're saying, you can't do anything else. We, we would have been we would have been building a project and it would have I don't doubt at this point that it would have been a success. Mm -hmm. We would not have the pipeline that we do right now for next year if we were building that project. Good point. Um, so now I am a little curious about profit profitability and how that kind of works with multiple companies under one umbrella. And this is kind of just, uh, I, I guess, um, I think it's kind of funny if I would imagine a sibling dynamic. Um, so what happens when the construction side, because presumably you price the job, you price the job. We price the job and uh, something that I think a lot of people don't think about. And then when they find out, it shocks them a little bit. I have GMP contracts that I sign with my brother. Yep. So we are contracted. He's, he's signing one side, I'm signing the other, and we're sticking to it. It's a real contract. The banks need it. We need it internally. And it keeps everybody on the straight and narrow throughout the project. Okay. So when you miss something on the drawings, you eat that? It depends on what it is. So we are wrapping up 62 units in Beverly. Um, typically, I know, I know we've been talking about some of the bigger projects, but mm. the original question on how we decide whether or not we're taking one on, almost always the small projects we look at because we can take them on and we believe that we can build them out better than the other, other CMs in the area at a better cost to construct it, which helps the pro forma. So we'll staff our jobs leaner. We we will we will build 30 units or 40 or 50 or up to a hundred. We think better than others and at better costs. Better so that costs is a way, that's a metric that we look at deals. If it's less than hundred units, we know we're building it ourselves and we know that we can we can build it for X per unit. And with a better product in the end. And with a better product yeah. locally. Don't get me wrong. There's nicer products out there, but for what we're looking at, we will we will control it so tightly that we will have a better product than what we initially even thought when we started the design. Yeah. At, at, so, but, 
so at that price point, if it's a fifteen million dollar job, you know your fifteen million is going to be a much better quality than. Yeah, if if you have a piece of land that you're going against three other developers and we're all trying to buy it, and they're looking at building it out for, call it two sixty a unit, and I know I can build it for two fourteen or less, I have the leg up in that situation. We're going to go after the land a little bit harder. Because we know we don't have that middleman CM in the mix and we can control our costs much tighter. Hmm. Not much tighter. They, they are all capable of controlling their costs. It's how much skin do you have in the game and do you really want to control it that yeah. tight? Okay. So the, the so there's two scenarios that play out. You miss something. You've got that GMP contract taking aside contingencies and all this other and other lumps of money sitting around. Um, you eat that. If there's something that's not on the documents, is it a big fat change order that goes to the brother? It all depends. So we we have historically signed GMPs internally earlier than any CM would sign them. Makes sense. It, it's, banks, especially right now during COVID, banks are really looking for a signed GMP contract before they will fully commit to funding the project. Okay. So we can have our money into the deal we can have our joint venture partners money into the deal but when we need to fill that slug with the bank with a lender they want the gmp signed so on our own internal projects we're going to sign them earlier than i would if i was signing it with a client yep. because money's coming from one pocket to the other realistically when you think about the two sides that are signing it um but it also means that we're signing a gmp on much looser documents and we are doing, if the documents are at the point where I don't even have a ton of sub input on them, we will we will build the budget based on historical data that we have on projects that we're either building now or have just completed and still be very tight. Where things really start to get a little bit weird is, so you have the Beverly piece of property, it's waterfront. When we first went there, we all knew that it was a beautiful piece of land and that it had potential. But when we, when we, came up with our budget and signed the GMP, none of us were thinking we were gonna go as crazy on the outside with patios and fire pits and all this stuff that just wasn't part of the plan. Was that boardwalk in the mix? The or the boardwalk was, yes, because that, that, was a, that was actually a, a requirement of the state with the chapter 91 license. Um, but that also helped to make the site a much beautiful, a more beautiful place to actually build because now you do have this boardwalk that's right on the water. So we then infilled with patios and areas with all sorts of stuff that was never on the plan. Mm -hmm. It was the right decision as the developer, but on the construction side, long before we'll take it as a change order to the development team, we will see where there's room in the budget to make it work. Got it. There is, when you're building for yourself, there is um, the desire to use up all of the construction dollars that you've budgeted and not have any left over to do profit sharing or anything with. We'd much rather spend the construction dollars than dip into the development money that could affect another project. Got it. Now, what's the chapter 91? Is that like a federal waterways kind of thing or? Yeah, it it uh, it dictates before you buy land or start working on land, really, if it falls under the chapter 91 license, you actually have to take the project before uh, board and your civil engineers heavily involved. So. Beverly, we actually bought with an active Chapter 91 license, so we didn't have to go through the process. We, the owner, the previous owner had gone through the process so early that we were actually in the last few months of it when we bought it. Oh, great. And I was able to file for one final extension, which expires in December, to get the work done. And we've, it's all done. We're working on getting it all signed off at this point. Great. But it's a, it's a, a level that's outside of the town's control. You're really at the, the mercy of the state. Okay. So I I find it interesting that both you and Mike having conversations with you both, and I guess it makes sense you work for the same company, um, are heavily invested with not uh, moving past the status quo on multiple fronts. Um, looking at the infinity system and going actually going with the infinity system in Lynn uh, for folks that don't know a uh, structural metal stud system look it up if you want to know more um, 
I've gone to meetings with Mike to look at mass timber as mm -hmm. a possibility. And, you know, whether it's panelized systems, uh, you were showing me a um, stair system, prefabricated modular kind of stair yep. system you were looking at. Yep. Yeah. Um, so whether it was like delivery systems or elements or what it, it, you guys seem to push harder than than most what's what's driving that like to and to me it's funny like i maybe this is a really unfair misconception but i think as a developer and i don't think of them as bad individuals right but you often think of them as it's a dollars and sense game and yeah they'll spend more if they're trying to get higher rents but it's really a, a thing but it's very rarely having even worked in construction have i seen it be developer dri driven hey we want to innovate yeah so, so i i think it comes it, it is still a dollars and cents game that's played with us but i think because we come out of the construction world we know that there are reasonable asks with the budget and unreasonable asks when you're looking at products. And so take the, the ready core system that we're using. Um, it's in, it's baked into the design for another high rise we have in the works. This is a prefabricated shaft system for stairs and elevators. That is uh, like a metal corrugated form with rebar already in place in it, built in a factory, it already has, if it's a stair shaft, it already has the metal pans welded in place, ready to fill with concrete, essentially. And it comes out on a low bed or a flat bed in two pieces per floor. It seems to be what it works out to be. And in one day, if you believe the sales pitch, which we've all learned to kind of believe and kind of add some fluff to, if you believe the sales pitch in one day, once you get your base set, you can install a couple stacks of it. And it bolts together and there's some areas that weld, but it's a pretty simple assembly. You're then sliding rebar into it. And, and that's shaft you, wall and stairs. That's the shaft wall and stairs. But in one day, you can install two pieces of this. And at the end of the day, fill it with the concrete. Protect it. The next day, come back and do another level. And you can get three levels ahead of your structural steel with the, with the ready core system. Hmm. So we're saving... Compared to our Caldwell job, you're saving probably a week minimum per floor with your erection time where you're not jumping forms up and forming and tying bar and getting inspections. You're saving that time because you're taking a week's worth of work and dumping it into one day because it's prefabbed. Hmm. We are eliminating the need for temp stair towers on the outside or inside of our project because the, the metal pans are already there. You're, you're taking out the need for a local uh, Miss Metals contractor to come in and actually crane the stairs into place and tack them in and weld them and get them ready to go. They're already there. You still have to put the railings in, but mm -hmm. the pants are there. And it, you're subtracting a trade too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're ultimately... One trade. Yeah. yeah. You're, yes. Uh, the steel guys are involved and the, and the and concrete. concrete. So two versus... You would have historically what done masonry or drywall shaft wall it it depends on the project on the high-rise stuff like caldwell we we did uh cast in place concrete but we had to jump floor by floor with our panels yeah and that was and time that was rebar time deliveries this system comes all all in one hmm. and aside from just the speed of erection for it and the fact that we have we can have a shaft going that much quicker than the steel erection we're adding a, a level of safety here that you're not in temp stairs on the outside of the building. If we're, we're trying to work through a way right now where we can have a, a modular cap for the top of the stairwell, as it goes up, you take the cap off, add your next layers, put the cap back on with the crane, with a tower crane. Yeah. You now have employees walking inside your building basically to any level you need them to in a finished stairwell. Hmm. We have to run some temp lights in it, but you're walking on concrete stairs inside the building as the structure goes up. Yeah, so safety, general safety, fire safety, like everything's baked in there. Yeah, yeah, and we're working through right now, you know, how do we get the, how do we get the stand pipes in there way ahead of time? There's there's a couple things that we're, we're trying to work through there. Can we get the shop drawing process to the point where we don't have to core anything through this? Can we have everything sleeved and ready to go? 
that there's just massive amounts of labor and effort there that we think we can solve on the front end. Now, I'm sure something's going to come up where it's not as perfect as it seems. Yep. But there's there's a lot of companies out there using these in in low rise hotels where they're taking, you know, a couple weeks worth of shaft work and doing it in a day. Hmm. Yeah, and now I guess it starts to make more sense to me, right? Which is if you're just a standalone GC and you're given a set of drawings, the amount of effort to kind of figure all out, that's a lot of work for, you know, probably not a huge dollar amount. I'll just price it traditional and put the stairs on like we always put them in. And, it, and if go. the job takes an extra two months, who cares? We're getting paid for GCs, GRs on this. It, it does. I'm not going to say that they don't care, but they don't care nearly as much as the developer does in getting the job started, completed, and the contractor off the site as quickly as possible to then start getting some income on the project. Yeah. From I think your original question was, was why are we looking at it differently? On the construction side, yeah, if I'm getting paid to be there every month, no matter what, and we agree that the schedule's you know, 28 months, I'm not really incentivized to get it to 24, unless there's a dollar value. As the developer, it might start at 28. I want that thing at 20 now because I, I need heads in beds in this building paying us back so that there's money coming in on it. Right. So we can look at different systems and different components. And yeah, they might not be very common in the industry. Um, they might not be traditional items. But if I can save a month by changing my stair shafts, I'm going to take that month. Yeah, because in your... You're, you're benefiting in both places. You're benefiting on the construction side and you're benefiting on the development side versus just one or the other. And then that, when you're combining those, that's why, hey, if we can do 3% better on the construction side, but hand it faster on the owner side, that's... Yep. Uh, and there, that, there's that looks a lot back to it. So we've been looking at a few different systems in the next high rise that we know will speed up the process. And cost effectively, not without not without breaking the bank. Mm -hmm. The flip side is, can we then get other trades to keep up with it? So maybe we speed up our building erection by two months, but am I going to lose three months to the electrician or the plumber or somebody else in the process? So we're constantly looking at the other side. Like, at, at what point is it? At what point are we going too far with modular construction to speed things up? Yeah, that actually happened. Um... Vancouver, British Columbia, one of the first mass timber yep. buildings. It was a dormitory and the superstructure fucking blew the doors off of everything. And, you know, they were something like six months ahead of schedule. They ended up only coming in three months ahead of schedule because the trades beforehand, and they even gave the schedule and said, this is how fast we're going to go. And they were like, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Out correctly, but I yeah. think when put yourself in the place of an electrical contractor, you have a CM telling you that, you know, they have four days to wire a floor. They're going to laugh and say, they're really giving us two weeks or three weeks. Yeah. We, that's uh, exactly what happened. Right. We, we, we have this kind of a running joke in our office of four days because one of our joint venture partners, their construction consultant consults across the country and he has a couple jobs with power construction in Chicago and they're turning floors four days a floor. Each trade gets four days. And they're big, they're high rises. Mm. So our amusement is that the thing to beat is four days, which we know we can never get with what we're willing to pay for the work to get done. Yeah. But internally, the drive is there. We need to turn these floors as fast as possible. How do we communicate that to all the trades? Hmm. So going with that, like looking at the duality of both sides of the the operation. How much does the fact that you need to live with the product start to affect how you build it? And I'm going to go to the fact that like you started showing me, I forget which software you were using. It reminded me of the real estate one, the name's escaping me, but it's basically a 360 degree camera view. Matterport. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of Matterport. Um, you have 360 degree cameraing every single unit when they're rough framed uh rough plumbing rough electrical so you have a go back on it like 
is it really the is it the end user in you that is driving driving think, out of the construction side yeah so we've managed buildings basically for, for mike and i we've been in the management of buildings our entire lives so my grandfather had built buildings in the 60s and 70s that we had until just a couple of years ago when we sold them and we've always been a part of the management and maintenance process on some level um we know what it's like to go into a unit and not know what's in the walls, what we need on the maintenance side. Mm -hmm. So it clicked with us on the last two projects that we're spending all of this time and money on Procore and supers and assistant supers, project managers, all in the field documenting everything that we do. For ourselves on the construction side, you want the ability when there's an issue to go back to it. You want the ability, especially in COVID, to have inspections super tightly locked down with photos. But we realize that it's just as important after we turn the building over to have the property manager have access to the same info. So uh, about a year ago, we bought a 360 degree camera. And at the time it was, I have this $400 camera. It's not an extreme expense. The toy. I'm going to use this kind of hokey app that they have. We're going to take the pictures and we'll have them on somebody's computer if we ever need them. Procore since then came out with the ability for your photos to be viewed in 360 mode in the regular photo album. And from that point on, what we started to do is at the at the after our mechanical rough inspections prior to insulation, we send a PM into the field with the camera and he takes a picture inside every room, sets up the camera, steps out of the, out of the frame, takes the picture on the app, moves it into the next room. And it's not every apartment. It's going to be the kitchen, the living room, the bathroom, the bedroom, every single unit, every single room is going to get the picture taken. Hmm. Now they go into Procore tagged to the actual location. Yeah. Is it like a GPS so they can no, no, the cameras we have to do it at this point, and hopefully it'll get there to the point where we can just click on the plan to show it where we are. Yep. Um, we're physically adding the location in Procore, and it's taking, I think the last building took him 40 minutes to do a floor. So we're not talking a very expensive camera. We're talking a $400 360 camera that mm -hmm. you can buy at Best Buy. You're talking 40 minutes of someone's day to, to document an entire floor after inspections. Call and then maybe yeah. an hour to upload it to Procore and get it in there. And what we're able to do now is we have in the locations, you can go into Procore, you can go into apartment 302 and look in 360 view at the ceiling, at all the piping in there, at the wiring, the fire stopping. If there's an issue and you need to know where the studs are, you can look at the wall and see that the stud framing starts over here and it runs 16 and gets you where you're going. If you know what you're looking for, it's extremely helpful. Um, but what we've what we've done on the last project is we actually tied that into the property management side. So we're using Procore for this because the information is already there. Using Procore, Procore on the property management side. So we're using it on the construction side, but we're giving access now to the property manager Got to it. our Procore. Um, and what we're doing is you walk into a finished unit in Beverly and maintenance can go over to the, the hot water heater and we have a QR code that Procore generates. It shows the location of where we are with a pro with a QR code on the side. It's printed on a, on a label, which Procore generates. Mm. And we, we stick it right to the front face of the, the hot water tank and maintenance can walk in, open Procore, hit the QR code with the locations function and it brings them to that room. They can see every RFI that happened, if we let them. Yeah. They can see all of the photos, which is the key. They can see every submittal that's tagged to the room. They have, if they know how to read it, every piece of information you could ever want for that location. Wow. So now, game played in your head. There's an issue in an apartment. You're going crazy trying to figure out what's going on. You have tenants that are cranky at you. You, as the maintenance man, can walk in tag the QR code, open the 360 photo on your phone and look and see exactly what's in the walls and where. When you're chasing a leak, our buildings don't leak, but if you're chasing a leak, you can go and see exactly where the pipes are above your head. 
Yeah, that's so valuable. It's go go a year ago onto some of our properties and you'd be grabbing a sawzall and cutting some drywall out to find out what's going on up above your head. Yeah. Now yeah. if you're doing that, it's because no one showed you where to look. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when you have an occupied space, the last thing you want to be doing is poking holes, guessing where that's it. Where plumbing is, right? You you put a tenant in that apartment. And now you have an issue where a maintenance guy is in there troubleshooting something for a day or two. That's not a good situation. Hmm. They're aggravated. They're tight spaces. They don't want you in there. Think about it now in COVID. They really don't want you in their apartment. It's their space. You need to be able to do your job as quickly and efficiently as possible. Okay. Anything else you're currently using um, from a tech, from... A product we talked about affinity we talked about that um it's not speed core speed core is the other thing the ready core um you're doing the 363 cameras on all the rooms anything yeah. else of note not as um i'm not sure it fits in the technology bucket but i'm going to put it there we for the first oh, innovation Innovation on the yeah. first for the first time on the excavation side of our business, we just ordered an excavator that has a full 360 tilt rotator on the end of it. Now, this is something that comes up because labor is difficult to have and control and deal with on sites. Now I'm allowing the operator from inside the cab of his machine to basically eliminate the laborer that might have been out at the end helping him with bucket replacements helping him pick things up this so like hand signals and all that so so this tool now from inside the cab it has a little grapple on the back that you can use it to pick up pipe and move things around the site you can grab a set of forks without getting out of your cab it also has this excavator has 2d um grade control so now instead of having a laborer on a grade rod and setting up a laser and grabbing a benchmark, we can do decent amount of bulk excavation by setting the bucket on a benchmark, zeroing it out, and the guy in the cab knows exactly what elevation his bucket is at at any given time. That's amazing. I thought you were going to say oh. you could like do a laser pointer at something and it would give you the grade, but you can actually, the bucket will, will just give a beep when it's down to the... No, so this will actually, sh it shows on a separate screen in the cab. It's calibrated to the specific bucket you're using and you can change it and measure the teeth. And as you even curl or uncurl the bucket, it knows where your teeth are elevation wise. And it shows you on a screen. So now you're not eliminating the need for someone to check grades as mm -hmm. you're digging. You're yep. eliminating the need for a guy dedicated to that while you're digging. Now it well, can be check it every every so often to make sure that we're still true you're yeah. eliminating probably a laborer off of every every job that you're doing this on and it's not that we want to eliminate the people it's that we can't find the people yeah so let's start why would we buy another excavator and have you know uh almost half million dollar investment in something that's still reliant on a guy showing up to work every day yeah no it's huge and you and, you, and you're right like it's that full-time, almost like um, when you have operators like uh, on the union side, they'll have oilers, yep. right? There's basically somebody tending the entire day. Now it goes to, yeah, you're going to spot check some levels. There, is there still going to be some handwork? Yeah, there'll still be some handwork, but it doesn't require somebody standing there the entire time, right? Yeah, that, and that's what it's all about. If I can have that laborer doing something else, we don't want him standing at the end of the boom of the excavator checking the grade. Mm. There's other things they can be doing. Yeah. Now, so I, I love that you said that. That's awesome um, and interesting. Is there anything else that you're doing? And I know at the end of the day, all of this has an effect on the property side of things. Or the development side, however you want to word it. But is there anything else really um, end user driven that you guys do that a typical GC wouldn't do? End user driven, maybe not. We might have covered it. Mm -hmm. We are as on the construction side, as a CM, we actually have 
two people on our staff that came out of the property management side of our business. So we have an assistant super who was one of our maintenance techs. And we have, we have a project manager who started with us as a maintenance tech. Hmm. And the goal with them was always to be on the construction side. There just wasn't room at that point. Yep. And the amount of detail that they put into building a job out because they have been in building maintenance, mm-hmm. a guy that actually knows how the building works should be the maintenance man or maintenance technician. They should know every system. They should know what works well, what doesn't, where in the, their career as a maintenance tech, they might've hated how a building was built. They now have that opportunity to change it on the construction side. And it starts at even digging through the plans. We'll get comments back in Bluebeam Studio that are clearly someone looked at it from a maintenance perspective. And yeah, it wasn't a maintenance guy, it was RPM or it was a super who mm-hmm. just knows what's involved in maintenance. Yeah. And it has made for a very successful product delivery in us thinking things through, even as it's being built from a maintenance perspective. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm driving at, right? Which is, um, it could be as simple, simple as a basement, simple as a valve placement. Yep. Right? Okay, yeah, you can put that there, but a maintenance person can't get to that. So redesign that and repipe it so somebody can get to it, right? Go one step further. If you're approving as-built drawings coming in from your trades, you're not just going to look at it and be like, yeah, he submitted an as-built, we can pay him today. No, you're going to look at the as-built and say, this does the maintenance guys no good. Start over. Yes. Yes. Yep. yep. Um, and I think where I'm going with all of this is, you know, I like to do this podcast so people can have a, a, a takeaway to some degree and can learn and can get better. And like what I think is you guys have the luxury of being the end user which causes you to deliver a better product, right? And how can someone who's just a GC learn from how you guys look at it to end up delivering a better product? Because here's what happens is traditionally it's a, like a, a one-time transaction in construction, right? So you build a building for someone calls you up, says, hey, we want you to build this building. You bid it. You build it and then you never see them again. And if they can't access a valve and they're unhappy and they don't know where anything is and there's shitty, um, you know, turnover documents, yeah, they curse you or whatever, but they're never using you again, right? And how do we change it to the fact that, hey, when I build with GC or CMX, that is a product that is exceptional and that becomes and this is going to roll into our next conversation here because i like the what you guys are doing with this as well you have a brand as a construction manager as a general contractor that you give an exceptional product you give a product you know where historically we're looking at it is you can deliver it on time and under budget that's been the metric right but the metric should also be how is the product that you're turning over is the client satisfied with it because all successful businesses have satisfied clients because it's a word of mouth game right and satisfied client right now the expectation has been okay on time and under budget we're happy but i think that expectation should go up and you deliver a product that is easy to maintain um is via technology or attention to detail and you just deliver a better product. And I think GC, GCs should really start looking at it as what does that end user need? Yeah, so there, there's a couple areas that I think everybody can improve, us included. Okay. Um, you know the date that you're turning over a project or a phase of a project. And as a CM, you might have some training slotted in there for the property management company to be there for HVAC training, plumbing training, parking system training, whatever that looks like. Yep. It needs to start long before the training dates or even the commissioning. So I think if if local CMs 
took on the approach that a relationship with the property management company would completely change the way they build, I think they'd get those guys in the room sooner and actually talk through what it takes to maintain one of these buildings. So it, it, takes, both sides. it, it takes the property management company to be just as bought in that if they voice their opinions, if they work through issues and details early, they will have a better maintenance program for that building. And it, it means that the construction team, if you're a super in the field or a PM, it matters when a maintenance supervisor for the property manager walks the job and points things out. You need to listen. That's the guy. Yeah, there's going to be clients sleeping in the units and they have to like their unit and have it be comfortable. That maintenance manager is the guy running running the product after it's built. And their opinions and their their thoughts really do matter in the process, and it should. Yeah, because that was kind of the question I was going to ask. You're saying you bring them on earlier as a way to educate the general contractor. Bring them in. What are they looking for, right? Um, Often as the, as the GC, you're turning the building over to those guys. They don't really need to be here right now. They'll, they'll take what we give them. What are they going to return the building to us? Yeah really need to take a different approach. They are going to be the guys running this building for the next 20 years. They need to be here today to see how it functions and to give us their feedback on what we're what we're doing wrong, what we're laying out incorrectly, what should be slightly different. Yeah. I would love to say that they should be involved even in plan coordination from the beginning, but it's as the developer, it's never bought out that early with who the property manager is to actually have them in the room. Right. And in fairness, like I'm saying it's never done. Yes, it's done. If you're working with Procter & Gamble, if you're working with Merck Pharmaceuticals yeah. or, you know, like out of the business for sure. Yeah, they're they're driving the ship because yep. they know they have to. It's mechanical heavy. There's either manufacturing or science being done there and, you know, valve tagging, uh, labeling and they have their specs and like so they really drive the, the ship. Um, but it's not happening on an apartment building. Not and enough. Not, you know, happening in a, you know. A... And in all fairness, an apartment building is much simpler than a laboratory. There's bedrooms, there's bathrooms, there's living spaces, there's kitchens, there's maybe some stair shaft ventilation systems. Mm -hmm. It's simpler than a lab. There is still full-time people who have to run and operate the building just yeah. the same as there is in a laboratory. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know, maybe there's just not enough repeat work there for that to move the needle. Yeah. Right. Um, but I would like to think that there's enough developers in the world that talk to each other and say, hey, these guys cost, you know, 3% more, but the product they deliver and the headaches they reduce on the back end are so worth it, you should build with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think it'll take time to move the needle in that direction where we're actually seeing benefits cost-wise on running our properties with the property manager afterwards. But I think if I were to turn over several properties over a couple of years that are easier to run, we would see a reduction in our costs. Yeah, right. You, I mean, you must be watching the expenses. Absolutely. Right? And how well it's built Even probably... How they structure their fee as a property manager. If they're assuming that it's going to be a disaster from day one, we, we there's no clawing that feedback. We need to get a track record with how the buildings are turned over, mm. how information is relayed to actually start to see that fee probably start to tick down because maybe we give you a better building than other people do maintenance wise. Mm. Hmm. Okay. So going now to brand right before i was talking about how you could kind of build a brand of hey we're a builder that gives a end user a quality project that um is easier to maintain and you know just better overall all quality um i also found it interesting that you guys were exploring and again going back to kind of like innovating more than most you were exploring kind of branding even what your site looks like right and yeah. um could you talk a, a little bit about about what you were thinking there yeah so we are actually a couple weeks out right now from launching an entirely new look to our brand 
Um, this is something that's been going on for uh, almost a year now where we hired a branding agency and we've been working with them on completely uh, streamlining who we are and what we look like on the outside and on the inside. Um, we're, we're a 70-year-old business. My grandfather started our company and anything that is 70 years old is going to have a lot of phases in its life where it looked very different than what it looks like right now. Mm -hmm. Um in what we build, in what we do, uh, there's people that think we're nothing more than a site work company because that's how they know us. There's people that think that we do nothing but build single family houses. There's people that think that we're nothing but the developers buying land and having people build on it. It's it's a very inconsistent view of who we are. Mm -hmm. uh, even internally, if you ask one of our site work employees what we do, well, we do site work. Contract. Yeah, yep. If you ask a punch carpenter, well, we do a lot of carpentry work. If you ask the project management team, well, we, we, we CM projects for people. Ask the developers, and they might not even know that any of that stuff really goes on. They're going to say, we're real estate developers. So as a company, we, we made the decision, Mike and I, to actually start shifting perception, where we are a real estate development company. That is at the core, at our DNA, that is what we do. And then the question comes, how do we get the construction team to buy in? Because it's not that we're not a construction company, but us self-performing is a value add to our projects. We are not doing it because we just love to do it. It, it actually adds value to projects. It makes projects better when we are the construction manager, when we are the site contractor. So we started down this rabbit hole of a rebrand and it started to become pretty clear that even from an external view, we don't, we don't have a lot of customers. In fact, on the construction side, my customer is my brother, Mike. Yeah. He's my client. And overall we're building our own product. We're managing our own product and we'll bring it to the point where maybe we sell our product, but realistically we are the customer and outside of that, our investors are our customers. So, we started with, well, we need something that's very real estate driven. It needs to look and feel like a development farm. And then we started realizing that that look should actually follow through. If you're an investor or a bank or a lender of some sort, and you're on one of our investment webinars looking at a project, you're going to see a certain slide deck and it's going to have a certain look and feel to it. That same look and feel should exist in the field. So now you walk through one of our projects. Currently, our, our projects that we build ourselves are, quite frankly, very clean inside. We go out of our way to put up a lot of signage. Um, it's just the look and feel that we want. We want people to walk in and not think you're in a pigsty like a lot of other construction sites are. Yeah. So now in a couple of weeks, what you're going to have is you're going to have from the very first pitch deck of an investment, through to when an, an investor or, or JV partner walks on the job, our exit signs are going to be branded our way. They're going to be our colors. They're going to be our feel. The job rules board is going to be specific to us. It's all going to have the same exact branding. Hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're an investor or a long-term carpenter of ours or a site work guy. It's all the same. It is one consistent theme through our company. And that's something that I, I think will end up setting us apart a little bit in that you go onto some other developer's site and they might have a little sign at the, at the front gate that says so-and-so development, another project by whoever. Yeah. We want the ability for you to walk in the building and actually know that this is. Yeah, just right away. Yep. Yeah. And I think what I, I, I liked and I think it's important um, you know, you talked about how I want <clears throat> the bank or an individual investor that's walking the job to be able to see that branding. Um, you talked about a building official, building inspector walking and recognizing that branding and associating it with, you know, a clean, safe site, right? Um, and I think that's key. And I think so many people miss that. And I've said this a million times on this podcast, but um, it, it's that very simple example of when people talk about using social media and marketing, 
and every the so many CEOs that I've spoken to immediately say, well, I don't need any more. I don't need any more work. I don't need marketing. Yeah. You know, and you're like, no, no, it's not about business development. It's employee retention. It's attracting new employees to work there. It's having a building official walk through and say, oh, this is a Procopio project. Yep, they always have everything safe, done right. I, and they might not even consciously realize that, but it's subconscious, right? I know it is. So we, we have found in the, on a past couple of projects that when we start working in a city that we've never worked in before, the building officials have baggage from other developers and other builders in town. Mm -hmm. And when we have our first pre-construction meeting with the town, we are already fighting something that we didn't bring to the table. Somebody else left it in their lap and now we are up against it, whether it has to do with our project or not. So now we could have a project where from the initial submittal of the construction management plan to the town, everything is in line. All of the paperwork is branded the same. They, they read that. If that's all in order and they like that, then they come on to our site and everything is the same. Mm -hmm. Every, every Every sign that we said we would have is there and it's it's branded and they know that we're not just going to build it as quick as we can get out of there and they never see us again. It's proving our commitment even to the community at that point that we are here to stay. Yeah. And I mean, that's so huge, right? Because when anyone has a branding conversation, right? And now some other industry make up your own example, but in the construction or development industry, how many people are thinking about a building inspector when they're thinking about brand, right? The br brand just matters. Brand is everything, right? And it's how you're perceived both consciously and subconsciously. And if you don't want to change the way your company is perceived for the better, you're crazy, you know? Yeah. But um, people are not uh, people are not doing that. And I, I like I commend you and Mike for doing it. I think it's I think it's fantastic. I that's why I enjoy working with you guys so much, just because like I can learn from that, right? That's why we do this whole podcast, because I selfishly want to. Yeah, and we, we didn't learn it ourselves. It took us a while to get here. Mm. Uh, we've pushed ourselves on Instagram quite a bit over the years, and that was really the only place where we, we had any kind of outward facing um, social media presence. And we started realizing on the development side that we actually get a lot of investors through Instagram. People that have been following us for years and have seen our work and see what we're like when an opportunity comes up for a $20,000 investment, because they have the history there, they're willing to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And if I go through my Instagram, I really very much need you to also see that we are consistent with our brand and who we are across the board whether it's the development side or the construction side, you need to see consistency. Yeah. I mean, I sat in on, I forget the, the, um, the platform like crowdfund or what I, I think crowdfund real crowd, real crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Real crowd. And just sat through that, that pitch and considered investing myself, right? Like it, it works. It's, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's wild. And, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned from what you guys are doing. And I also think it's funny because I uh, met and we talked about this a little bit, meeting Mike first and really saying like, oh, shit, he's fucking on point on all this stuff. And there was Greg who ran the other, ran the construction side and just talking to Mike and he was like, so on point and everything. I'm like, wow, this guy's fucking spot on. He gets it. Like, that's a great business. I want to kind of learn from them. And I just, it was funny because I was like, oh, Mike must be the brains of, the, <laughs> brains of this operation, you know? Uh, what do you say? He might be. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. You're, <laughs> you're, you're slowly surpassing him. Uh, and then I met you and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, Greg isn't like the number two here. I'm like, they're both like pushing the envelope. And I think that's, you know, that's really important. And uh, I'm sure Mark's doing his thing too. I haven't had the chance to uh, interact, but. Um, this isn't, you know, this isn't me just, um, it is very important to us as we move forward as a business, we're young, we are not the developers that people think of when mm -hmm. they think developer. Yeah. Um, 
my hairline might say that I'm of that age group, but I'm not. <laughs> we are in this for the long haul. We're not in this to just make money and run away and live on an island somewhere. We're we're here for the rest of our lives. And it's important to us that we keep pushing ourselves, pushing each other and our team to actually move in the direction we want to go. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time. This is great. Uh, I appreciate both you and your brother for being so open to talk. Uh, it's great for everybody to get to listen and learn. And um, I think that's fantastic. And uh, I will be seeing you around quite a bit. And if there's, um, if that's it, I'll let you go. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. I'm Robinson. I came to get down. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known to rock the microphone because I get stupid. I mean, outrageous. Stay away from me if you're contagious. Cause I'm the winner. No, not a loser. To be an MC is what I choose. A ladies love me. Girls adore me. I mean, even the ones who never saw me like the way that I rhyme at a show. The reason why, man, I don't know. So let's go.